sorry. Welcome everybody to another episode of 2020 Expert Views podcast. Um, I'm delighted to have with me today Daniel Markham, Santosh Sunder and Simon Bentley who are here to talk to me about um, LDI and not in the traditional sense but really from a from a holistic sense and from an evolving sense because actually a huge amount has changed in terms of how LDI is used uh, and how LDI can be used more efficiently actually compared to say you know five or seven years ago um, and, and we're going to hear about some of some of those elements today um, and I guess you know really it comes back to a fundamental question LDI is, is all about you know making sure that your investment strategy is more closely linked to the liabilities that as trustees you're you're trying trying to meet and and so the question to you, Danielle, to start off with, if you don't mind, is how important now is LDI as part of an investment strategy? And, and, and particularly, how has that changed over, over the last kind of couple of years or so? Yeah, thanks, Nadine. So over the past few years, we're really seeing that LDI has been absolutely crucial in the overall success of, of DB pension schemes. Um, you know, we've seen some big movements in interest rates and also inflation this year, and they've made a huge difference to the value that gets placed on, on the scheme's liabilities, given that they have a long-term nature um, over which the benefits need to be paid. So what LDI does is give us the tools to hedge those movements by investing in assets which move in a similar way um, to the liabilities to protect us against those movements. So just to put that into context, you know, over the last three years, for example, um, long-term guilt yields have fallen by around about 1%. So for a typical pension scheme, that's increased the liabilities of, by around about 20% or last being equal. So you know, some really significant movements and whether you've sort of hedged all of that movement using LDI or hardly any of it will have made a, a massive difference um, to the performance of your scheme and, and where your funding level is at. I guess one interesting aspect that um, I think has, at least from a strategy perspective, has evolved over the past couple of years in, is, is in terms of the kind of the approach to LDI and how you know the trustees look at it, how the different stakeholders look at it. And I think like for me personally, the question of how important is LDI to the investment strategy is actually the question uh, for me is, is there a distinction between LDI and the investment strategy? Because now, you know, everything we do is pretty much liability-driven investment. So it's all about paying the cash flows, delivering the objective of the pension fund, and that is really liability-driven investment. And I think the sort of the framework itself has just become much more focused now that everything is within the LDI umbrella for pension funds. That's a, that's a really, really, really good point. And, and you know, li liability-driven investment as a philosophy is very different to liability-driven investment as a tool. I guess here we're focusing on on the tool and the implementation of the tool from a, from a hedging perspective. Yeah. But actually, it's how it fits in with the with the broader investment strategy in a in kind of holistic risk management and and a holistic focus on kind of getting to your to your end game or or, or on your journey plan as appropriate. So it's it's a really good point, Santosh. So Simon, we've we've talked about how um, over the last few years the thinking around LDI has has moved fundamentally, um, but but from a, an actual LDI portfolio construction perspective, can you talk to us a little bit about how that's changed over the last few years as well? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think on on the one hand, portfolios have got more sophisticated, but actually on the other hand, they've also become more more standardised in terms of some of the tools we use. So, sophisticated in that as the industry generally has understood the benefits of LDI and as hedge, 
ratios have increased, accuracy has become more and more important. So schemes are looking to really un understand their liabilities properly and design a portfolio that is genuinely a good match for their liabilities rather than just buying blocks of, of duration, which may have been the case sort of five or 10 years ago. And also as people's understanding of the, the, the core building blocks of LDI have, have evolved, adding other components to the LDI portfolio. So we've seen quite a big pickup in using things like synthetic equity and synthetic credit within LDI mandates, partly because it allows clients to increase the amount of hedging they're doing. So for example, you, you, you sell some passive equities, you replicate that exposure synthetically, and that frees up some cash to do some more hedging. So you're not changing your investment exposure, but it's a tool that allows you to, to, to increase the amount of, of, of risk management that you're doing. And then I guess the second point of that was the increased standardization. Well, that's really thinking about some of the, the, the tools that sit under the bonnet, and particularly in the swaps market, you know, we've we've seen the advent of cash collateral, central clearing, we've moved from LIBOR swaps to Sonia swaps, and ultimately the whole market has migrated in that direction. And, you know, that, that is the new normal now. If you want good liquidity, if you want low dealing costs, that's generally where you want to be focusing. Um, and it obviously gives you good flexibility into the future as well. And and, and so so actually that, that brings me nicely on to the next question because you talked about, you know, the 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 proportion of liability that's been that that's being hedged is, is is gradually increasing and i guess as you increase that coverage it becomes more and more important to identify which basis you're actually trying to hedge so so a question for you daniel daniel is there a best basis to hedge um when when you're looking at um protecting your your liabilities from from movements um as a result yeah. of changes in interest rates and inflation yeah, so you're absolutely right. You know, it's, this is really important to consider um, as you hedge more and more. You know, the, the the basis that you're hedging does become, you know, a, a very important part of of the structure of the portfolio. Um, there isn't a right answer. It will depend on on your scheme and what you're aiming for. I think historically, many schemes have been hedging on a technical provisions basis, as you know, their focus has been paying off the deficit on that basis, and um, and that's really been the, the primary objective for for many schemes. But what we're looking at now is much more shifting um, that focus to think about things over the longer term. So, for for many schemes, you know, they might be focusing on on buyout in the the you know the sort of short to medium term, and and therefore hedging on a, a buyout basis um, might be you know the, the right approach um we've also got the introduction of the regulators new funding code and the requirement for schemes to set a long-term funding target so we're expecting to see that feed through more and more um in terms of the basis that's actually being being hedged you know as schemes focus focus on that particular basis i think there's not always a right answer as i've said um we do we you know in terms of the structure you're going to have to sort of base it on, on on one of those but what might be appropriate is to to know that we're hedging on on one particular basis but we're going to keep an eye on and how that's performing against another perhaps longer term focus so it, you know it's not straightforward and we can think about uh, you know, again holistic view in terms of the overall objectives of the, of the scheme i think the other thing to point out as well is we're not talking about hedging all the liabilities always as well and that's another you know really important thing to make sure that you have properly considered you know the high level proportion of liabilities that are being hedged um will depend on the basis and obviously it also depends on you know wait, we might be hedging 90 percent to 100 percent 
Um, but actually, you know, what is that actually a proportion of? If it's a proportion of funded liabilities, then you're going to have a, an unhedged deficit um, that you're going to want to, to address at some point, as well as this um, additional hedging exposure that you might want to get as you sort of strengthen the basis over time. It's it's a really interesting point because I guess what 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 I've seen what we've seen from from sponsors who have started to think more about their end game and who want certainty over the the monetary amount the pound amount of mm. of, of that deficit the the shift has definitely been towards let let's hedge towards that end game and let's hedge the the the, the deficit movement. Uh, rather than the traditional, let's 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 hedge the funding level yeah. on, a, on a technical provision basis, and and that shift has been very interesting. Clearly, there are challenges around kind of capacity within the portfolio. Have you have you got the ability to do that? And and still, are you still able to get the the, the returns that you need? And Santosh, I was just going to add to that. Yeah, I think that's that's a very that's kind of like the crux of all the sort of the decision making framework for not only the hedging strategy, but the entire investment strategy itself. And one of the things that we've sort of um, established as part of sort of the fund strategy design, there is obviously the investment aspect and all the uh, all the uh, points that uh, that both of you made and the importance of that. But there's also the communication aspect, because one thing that can become confusing from a trustee and other stakeholder perspective is having lots of basis. And when you talk about technical mm -hmm. provisions, you talk about buyout, you talk about guilds flat, there could be various different bases floating around and it could just become extremely difficult in terms of actually communicating a strategy. And one thing that is actually quite important is, you know, it could be whatever the basis is, but actually having a common currency, so to speak, when you're communicating even if it is 120% on gills plus 50, it's the kind of the mm. same as 100% on uh, on another basis. So it's very important to actually communicate quite effectively. Otherwise, things can you can get lost in the in the weeds, so to speak, of different BCs. So communication is also, I think, a very important aspect when you're designing these the hedging strategy and what basis you're actually hedging against and how you uh, uh, manage the communication with various stakeholders. Yeah, completely agree with that. And and Santosh, I, I guess kind of moving on and, and but sticking with you for a little while, um, thinking about LDI as a philosophy rather than as a specific tool, um, could could you give us kind of your views on how LDI as a philosophy is evolving to 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 cover broader risks? So for example, currency risk, equity protection, and 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 also touch on touch on the cash flow and liquidity side of things. Yeah, sure, and then that's that's exactly the point, Nadeem. In terms of LDI being part of a toolkit and LDI being a philosophy, I think that it's always been a framework. But it, I think now, uh, based on where pension funds are, and even kind of where the PP pension fund is, and where other UK pension funds are, the framework is just becoming much more important rather than LDI just being part of the toolkit to manage interest rate risk and inflation risk. Uh, and one of the things that has evolved, and you know, Simon touched on it, use of uh, equity derivatives and credit derivatives. It's just the evolution of pension funds moving from pretty much like a lot of equity allocation and a bit of bonds to becoming more fixed income oriented assets and focus on cash flows means you have a lot of uh, uh, capital invested in low risk assets like gilts and that forms part of the collateral pool for any derivatives and risk management as well. 
And one of the things that uh, at least we have observed within our fund, and I think it's kind of a sort of a trend across the marketplace as well, is to become more efficient with your collateral and how you manage different risks. So it's not LDI is not only about interest rate risk and inflation risk management anymore. It is about how you can deliver uh, the pensions in a more certain manner, and that uh, kind of evolves to managing your equity risk in a more efficient manner, which could mean that you have equity derivatives and you've got a common collateral pool supporting that. You, uh, as part of your cash flow management, mostly would kind of look to have assets that match your liabilities, not only from a sensitivity management perspective, but from a cash flow management perspective as well. And UK credit, for example, which is a common sort of uh, uh, allocation to manage cash flows, is not that much of it. So you need to go global in order to manage your cash flows and that comes with currency risk. So managing your FX risk within your com common collateral pool has also sort of uh, provided efficiencies from a strategy perspective. So the way I've kind of seen LDI evolve over the past couple of years in terms of the framework itself, it's more of a risk management framework. What are the key risks that the pension fund faces in order to meet its obligations? And how can we manage these risks in a most efficient and cost-effective manner possible? And kind of extending that from interest rate risk and inflation risk to other derivative risk and liquidity risk is kind of becoming much more important as we go forward. It's a, it's a great way to look at it. And, and you know, schemes are becoming more and more mature. That 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 view, that treasury view of a pension scheme is going to become more and more important. And having advisors and asset managers that are in place that that understand that, I think is going to be absolutely critical. Um, and, and in a sense, you know, talking about maturity, you know, clearly there, there are a lot of schemes and, and, and trustee sponsors that are now focused on, on kind of buyout being the, the, the end game. Simon, as as an investor in in the LDI products rather rather than the philosophy, but in the LDI products, how should us as investors be thinking and planning for for buyouts with 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 those quite large portfolios of of LDI? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the question is a really critical one because investors should be planning for buyout and several years in advance, not just you know two or three months in advance, as as has maybe been the case more recently. Um, the first point I'd make about planning is liquidity is generally massively underrated when you're planning for buyout. And that's because at the point you get to, to move to the insurer, your general assumption should be that you'll be transferring cash and or gilts to the insurer. Um, it's, a, it's a common, but it's a myth that the insurer will bite your arm off for the credit assets that you hold. Um, that might have been the case 10 years ago, but generally that will only happen now if it's maybe a very big deal. And the insurer makes a commercial decision to take that credit on board. No, they'll sell it, but it gets the deal across the line for them. So for most schemes, the good starting assumption is that you'll be passing across cash or gilts. And so whatever you're investing in needs to be liquid. If it's derivatives, it wants to be you know, market standard format of derivatives. If it's credit, it probably wants to be you know, relatively mainstream, probably quite short dated. That's where the liquidity tends to be for that. Um, and that allows you to, to move quickly. You know, we've seen plenty of deals occur where the insurers identified a, an opportunistic asset that they can acquire. And if the pension scheme move, can move quickly, they can take advantage of some attractive pricing. So therefore, those schemes that have flexibility built into their investment portfolios can take advantage of that. Um, I think the, the other thing um, that we see quite a lot of is, is probably an overfixation on looking at liabilities versus a guilt discounting approach. Um, a lot of our portfolios will combine gilts and swaps. We look at the relative value between the two and 
um, there's often concern around basis risk. You know, if you're holding swaps, you are you're introducing some basis risk compared to gilts. And most pension schemes will generally value their liabilities on gilts. And I, I probably see a little bit too much of a, of a focus on the basis risk versus gilts because if you think how an insurer operates, most of them will value their liabilities using swaps. Um, and therefore, actually having swaps in your portfolio is is certainly no impediment to, to doing a buyout and is you know, arguably a better match in some circumstances. So um, generally, when we're looking at LDI portfolios, you, you want on market swaps. So something that's, that's market standard, gilts and probably short dated credit. All of those things are pretty sensible holdings as you're moving towards that end game. Um, the final thing is, and this has only come to light probably more recently, is check that your asset manager can actually transfer. Um, I'll be honest, I took this for granted until about six months ago, but I have heard from an insurer or two that not all asset managers can or will do that. So it's certainly worth asking that question early on. And if the answer is no, then actually maybe looking, you know, looking for ways that you can make the answer yes rather than no before the time comes. Those are all very useful, pragmatic points that we should absolutely be thinking about well ahead of of any any transaction and and all of those points absolutely resonate with the kind of conversations that our risk transfer team have been having with with insurers directly as well so so, so that's good to hear um santosh i was going to ask you a question which i think a lot of trustee boards have, have actually been struggling with um you know there there are a huge number of schemes as we all know that holds a lot of guilts um and holds a lot of ldi and the question around how esg fits with um, those portfolios is, is becoming a, a more and more focused question. Um, I was hoping that you might be able to give us some insights from the work that you've been doing with, with, with BP pension funds um, in, in terms of how, how, how you see that conundrum and, and how you see the way forward as well. So yeah, I think we sort of hit the nail on the head, Nadim. It is a grapple and we are grappling with it as well, just like um, other pension funds. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't have the answer at this at this stage. It's obviously something that, in a way, from a regulatory standpoint, um, there is a bit more flexibility on whether gills should be included or not for TCFD reporting, for example. Uh, so from that perspective, there's a bit of uh, uh, a leeway, so to speak. But that being said, as uh, as you mentioned, most pension funds have a significant proportion of their investments in UK gills. So just ignoring it, I don't think is going to be the right answer. It, it's, it, it definitely needs to be assessed and looked at. Um, and there are sort of uh, ways that LDI managers, and I'm sure Simon can comment on that, and Daniel from an advisory perspective as well, uh, like in terms of at least measuring something, but there are lots of caveats attached to it, but at least it's a starting point. Uh, that being said, I think LDI is always going to be a challenge because it's always going to be driven by pricing. You know, it's shorter dated derivative instruments, whether you're using repo, maybe swaps is a slightly different angle, but I think the engagement angle is still going to be extremely important because most pension funds are going to have access to those banks in their credit portfolio. So using the scale of LDI managers to engage with banks to kind of move towards that net zero target, to move to, to engage on other potential governance risk factors or even the other environmental and social factors as well, and and uh, making a, and looking to influence the banks to get to the position that we would like them to. I think LDI managers and the scale that asset owners have is definitely going to play a very important role going forward. That's really insightful. So Simon, from a BMO perspective, is, is there anything that you, you could or want to add, add to that? Okay. 
Uh, yeah, no, I think I'd, I'd agree with, with, with what Santosh has, has said there, really. Um, LDI managers have a significant voice, you know, with stewards of a large amount of capital for clients. It's different to how you look at it within an equity context or a credit context. But through the large trading book we have, that generates repeatable profit for banks. And that gives us a major, major voice that we can use to engage with them on the topics that, that, that Santosh touched on. Um, clearly, what we're trying to achieve is probably subtly different to what you might be trying to achieve in an equity portfolio or a credit portfolio. For us, you you know, you ultimately don't have direct exposure to these banks through your LDI book because everything is collateralized or it's centrally cleared. But by engaging with the banks and promoting better practice, we're looking to reduce systemic risk within the industry, which obviously has a knock-on effect to the credit portfolio as well, but also um, has a benefit to clients by, you know, ultimately avoiding future financial crises and so forth, as well as reputational risk, um, and is 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 aligning the way that we manage those assets with the beliefs of our of our clients too. Um, <clears throat> we clearly look at look at the credit credit worthiness of banks. We also look at the ESG credentials of those banks when we're creating our approved list. But actually, as Santos said, it that doesn't impact a decision that we make at the point of trade. So we won't trade with one bank or another because their ESG score is higher. Um, they have to meet a certain threshold to be on, on, on the approved list in the first place. And clearly, if their credentials are not strong enough, they won't be on the list in the first place. But that's subtly, subtly different to the decision making at point of trade where the center says the you know, price price is very important. Great stuff. Thank you. Danielle, back, back to you and a, a question around um, the challenges. Of, of managing and really governing LDI portfolios. Um, clearly, there's a lot of complexity under the bonnet and, and that complexity and, and that um, process has to be has to be managed well. Could, could you just kind of give us an insight of some of those challenges and how they can be handled specifically, I guess, from a kind of collateral management perspective and, and also from a, from a kind of refresh of the portfolio perspective as well? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, absolutely right. There are you know many challenges in 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 governing the LDI portfolios, and and when we were looking at you know fairly low levels of hedging, then perhaps we could live with a bit of inaccuracy in terms of the the precise hedging versus the liabilities. But now that schemes are hedging much more and are you know do have that sort of end game focus in sight, then it's much more important to make sure that the hedging is doing what we need it to in terms of stabilising um, the funding level or deficit as much as it as it possibly can. Um, so yeah, picking up the first point about collateral management, um, clearly that's been an important issue over the last um, couple of years now uh, with the backdrop of the pandemic where we've seen some big swings in, in guilt yields that have impacted on the leverage within the LDI funds. Um, so that, that's been tested. Um, it's important that it's managed in an, an efficient way. So what we what we saw is that when yields moved, you know, up and down and in particular when they move up um, collateral needs to be called into the LDI portfolio um, so that the leverage can be maintained and there needs to be a, a, an efficient process of getting that that capital paid across um, so we've we you know and, and we've been working with schemes to make sure that absolute that absolutely can happen um, so that you know we have a designated um, source where where the funds can be called from and, and we need to think through about what are the implications of that, what's going to have happened to those assets um, at a time when we are seeing that that stress on on guilt yields. 
so having a sort of robust framework for that process is is absolutely key um also that that doesn't necessarily mean just having a, a big load of cash set aside that um that's there um in those scenarios you know we can think about the best place um to hold that collateral so that it's not just sat there doing nothing you know we can make it work um to generate some return for the scheme in a sensible way um when held alongside the ldi assets um so that's sort of the collateral aspect of it and you know it is a complexity but something that we can cert certainly sort of work with the investment managers to to manage but then when it comes to the other points about just keeping LDI under review, um, again, this is something we've seen becoming sort of increasingly important um, as as we want to uh, refine the hedging that's in place. So first of all, um, you know, we'd always look to review um, LDI portfolios when we do an actuary evaluation, make sure that it's reflecting the latest data um, and scheme circumstances so that's you know that's kind of always been the case we'd say at least every three years we should be reviewing this but actually what we've seen is is things being refreshed a lot more often um you know in the backdrop of markets being volatile um and inflation in particular um picking up this year that has meant that some of the ldi portfolios can be um sort of knocked out in terms of their accuracy because if you get a change in market conditions that impacts on how sensitive um the liabilities are likely to be to inflation when we think about the caps and floors um that get applied on pension increases so we do think it's important to to keep um that aspect of things under review as well so you know it has been the case that for schemes we've been looking at the impact of that and making changes to ensure that the ldi portfolio is aligned um, to the liabilities based on sort of market conditions um, that, are, that are currently in place. Yeah, it's, um, yeah I uh, agree with um, uh, all the points that Daniel made. Uh, it's sort of connect one one point is connected to the kind of the hedging basis as well because a lot of these things in terms of keeping it refreshed and the sort of the trade off between trading a lot and the trading in and out behavior and 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 keeping the governance framework. Uh, robust and efficient it depends on the hedge ratios as well because if your hedge ratios like i'm making the numbers mm -hmm. up here but if your hedge ratios like 50 or 60 percent relative to the sort of your end game basis so to speak these things are going to actually be a diversifier to your other risks within the portfolio so you kind of need to think through what are your remaining risks so if you're kind of reached a point where your investment risks have been closed out to a very high level then things like longevity risk, this kind of management of the benchmark and the second order risks of the LDI portfolio becomes much more important. So it almost depends on which part of the journey you are in as well. So, uh, you know, this kind of frequent rebalancing becomes and monitoring becomes much more important when your hedge ratios are high relative to when they are low. Yeah. And then talk straight back to the importance of thinking about investment strategy as, as a whole um, and, and as part of the journey and where you are on that journey as well. So, so Simon, I'm gonna I'm gonna end on you if 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 you don't mind, and kind of re reflecting on all the stuff that we've heard so far, um, and, and getting your crystal ball out if you like the LDI portfolios of the future. What 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 does that look like? Um, I mean, I probably don't need a crystal ball actually, because I think the regulators made it pretty clear for us, um, and the future is all about low dependency. So it's about creating this journey plan that moves a pension scheme towards minimal or no dependency on the corporate sponsor and potentially targeting either you know a buyout or a series of buy-ins or self-sufficiency 
Now, in terms of investment objectives, that means you want to be hedging all of your risk, so fully hedged against your liabilities. You probably want a small, modest excess return to account for fund costs and expenses and changes to actuarial assumptions and just changes or uh, additions to the data that you're looking at. And importantly, you want cash as well. So cash to pay pensions, not selling down assets, but assets that naturally kick off cash. So one way or another, that is going to be a combination of traditional LDI and credit. So the, you know, the future of LDI is not pure LDI. It's liability driven investment plus plus credit. Um, I think alongside that, there's going to be a trend towards deleveraging. You know, as funding ratios improve, that leverage requirement diminishes. Um, and so we'll see less levered LDI portfolios. We're already seeing that within the book that we manage, for example. And the big question is then what what does that credit look like? And the, the answer to that probably depends on whether you're targeting self-sufficiency or buyout. If it's it, well, it, if it's buyout, then it's probably short dated credit, as we touched on before. That's liquid. That's gives you the flexibility that makes it easy to move to an insurer. That's actually also a pretty sensible solution for self-sufficiency, too, because you're still going to get a lot of you know, all the cash that you need from a, a short dated credit portfolio. But you may have a preference for a longer dated credit portfolio if you're looking at self-sufficiency. So more traditional cash flow matched approach. But certainly we're not convinced that that's the right solution for a scheme that's targeting buyout over the short to medium term. Well, I think that helicopter view is a, a great way to, to, to end this LDI focused um, session. So uh, all that it leaves me to say is thank you so, so much for, for joining and sharing your your views on, on this topic. It is a very interesting topic. It's a topic that will keep moving and, and hopefully we can get together and talk about it again um, in the future. Um, but thank you once again and thank you all to all the all the listeners and we'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.